Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant. It's so good to have you here with us. If this is your first time here, or maybe you've listened to all of them. You're a subscriber, you're a regular, you dig this, you can't get enough of it. Either way, we're happy that you're here. It really means a lot. Really appreciate it. We've got a great story, a great show for you today. If you are into travel, if you're one of those people that just want to see the world, this guy that we're going to be chatting with today has indeed done that. He has seen the world and continues to tour and see the world. So today we are talking with Gary Arndt of the blog everything-everywhere.com. Gary's one of the original travel bloggers and the photographers. He's a guy who uh, has been literally all over the world, has been traveling the world for several years. So his story, his journey is really, really fascinating about how he left his job and how he's made a career, uh, just kind of starting this thing and kind of figuring out as he's gone. So excited to share this story journey with you today. So let's not waste any more time, my friends. Let's get right into it. Here's my interview with Gary Arndt. Enjoy. Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by Gary Arndt of the website Everything Everywhere. This guy's a traveling guru who's been all over the world and I guess calls the world his, his home. So Gary, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So we were just talking a little bit offline that currently, you, literally, you have no formal home. You've traveled the world and currently you are in Spain, correct? That's right. I've been traveling for almost eight years now. And last two months, I've been here in Girona, which is between Barcelona and the French border. You were saying that you'll be there for a little bit, and then you're coming back to the States for a little bit. And how far out do you plan where you're headed? It depends. I don't really have a whole lot planned. My goal for 2015 was actually to travel less. I've been moving around a lot the last two years. And as a result, I've kind of had to put a lot of business and other projects on hold. So So for this year, I just have some things planned out, I guess, through maybe Mm mid-March and then kind of maybe go to some conferences and then I'll be working on some other stuff. I'll be coming back to Europe in May. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So when you go back to Europe, are you planning on just parking it there for a little bit or what does it look like from there? Is it just kind of open-ended? It's not open-ended. I'll be returning back to Spain, a conference here, and then... I will be working on a a video project that I hope to be recording in Spain and France. That'll probably take another two weeks. And then after that, I really don't know. Everything's just kind of up in the air month to month. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, cool. Let's backtrack a little bit here. So give us just kind of an overview of your site and your blog and what it is that you do. Because I know that's more than just, you know, traveling for the sake of traveling. But how would you describe your business? Well, it didn't really start out as a business. I really just decided to go travel around the world for a year or two, and that was back in 2007. And over the course of time, I started a website basically for my family and friends, and it kind of became popular. And to date, it's become my business and pretty much best known, I think, for my photography. It was named Travel Photographer of the Year by two travel journalism organizations in North America. And... Basically, right now, I'm making most of my money through sponsorships from companies in the travel and tourism industry. When you started, was that kind of the formal plan of I'm going to piece together for the photography piece and some sponsorships and some of these like different components to make the business? Or is it more just kind of you've kind of figured it out as you went? Yeah, there was no plan. Uh, <laughs> when I started doing this, there was nobody doing anything close to what I'm doing right now. Nobody 
you know, was paying any attention to people online. I knew nothing about photography when I started. Right. So I went from absolute zero to where I am right now in the course of my travels. So yeah, I've kind of just figured it out as I went. It was about nine months into my trip where I kind of decided to take it seriously and see if I could make a business out of it. But it was still, there wasn't a real firm plan because everything was still up in the air and everything has changed so much. When I started, you know, I think Twitter and Facebook existed, but they weren't really a big deal. Right. And that's obviously changed, not to mention all the other social platforms which have come about. And I use all those. And so, you know, in those things, there's no way I could have planned on that when I started. Right, for sure. So even whenever you started, it sounds like nine months into it, it was just kind of at that point, just kind of an adventure. And at some point you were going to, it was the plan just to go for a year and then just return home and resume life as it was? A year or two. But yeah, I had no idea really what I would do when I got back. I had a very early internet company that I started back in 1994. And I sold that in 1998. And after that, I started a couple other companies. I went back to school, studied geology for two years. And it was then when I kind of decided that I would go travel around the world and with no real plan as to what I was going to do when I was done traveling. It was just, I didn't know what else to do. So go travel. Yeah. All right. Let's backtrack a little bit. Did you grow up in the States? I did. I grew up in Wisconsin and spent probably about the 17 years before I started traveling in Minnesota, which is where I had my company. So what was life like growing up? Did you travel a lot as a kid or is that with your family? Not at all. I never saw saltwater until <laughs> I was 21 years old. Wow. I never got a passport until I was 28. And that was because I sold my business. Yeah. Uh, and the company I sold it to was a multinational firm. And I convinced them to send me on an around the world trip to go talk to their various offices about internet application development. And that was really kind of my first trip you know, outside of North America. All right. So before we get into it, because I want to hear more about that story. That sounds intriguing just in itself. But growing up, what was it that you wanted to do with life? Probably become an astronaut. Okay. I spent a lot of time. I was the kind of guy that would go to the library and I would read books about space. And I memorized every Apollo mission, things like that. My dad had a, you know, a subscription to National Geographic. And I think that's how a lot of this started. I subscribed to National Geographic and I actually still own one of the largest private collections of National Geographic magazine and memorabilia in the world. So the fact that I would kind of go into travel photography in hindsight seemed rather obvious, Yeah, but it just wasn't at the time. Yeah, I'd read that on your site. And in fact, I was reminded a couple months ago, I was in New York City visiting my brother who lives up there and we went to a restaurant and they had they had just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these National Geographics just all over the, this little cafe. So it was the, one of the first things that I thought of. So do you now, obviously you're not traveling with them, so are you just keeping them in storage somewhere? They're in my mother's basement. Okay. And an undisclosed location? No, it's in Wisconsin. <laughs> Some, somewhere there. So, so growing up, you've got the fascination with, with space. I want to do the astronaut. Did you end up going to college? Yeah. I actually was one of the top high school debaters in the United States, and I, I was recruited to be on the debate team. I went to McAllister College. They had won the national championship the two years, two years in a row before I arrived, and uh, I did that for four years, and I ended up getting a triple major in math, economics, and political science. Triple major? So you're not messing around? It was just creative scheduling. <laughs> Very- <laughs> That's all I did was take classes in those departments. Yeah. So once you graduate and you're kind of finished and it's time to figure something out in terms of what you want to do, what was the plan from there? I actually went and coached debate in my old high school 
uh, for three years. I was going to get my PhD in economics. That was the plan. And I put it off a year, then I put it off two years. But and so I was basically living in my parents' basement, coaching debate for $6,000 a year. We were really good. In those three years, we won two state championships and we were ranked in the top uh, 15 teams in the United States all three years. Then I moved to Minnesota and one of my roommates, my college roommates, was doing computer programming. Yeah. And he says, man, you should come here and do this. You can make like 20 bucks an hour. And this was in like, you know, 1993. Yeah. And he later went on, I don't know if you're familiar with a, a product called Cold Fusion. Yep. I've heard of it. Yeah. It's owned by Adobe now. But anyways, it was made by a guy named JJ Allaire, who was my college roommate. Wow. And I was living with him at the time while he was working on it. And it was one of the very first programs that lets you hook up a database to a website. Mm-hmm. And back in the really early days of the internet, everything was just static pages of HTML. And so he had companies coming to him saying, you know, we want to build a website on this. But he didn't want to be in that business. He just wanted to focus on the product. So he said, well, do you want to do this for these companies? And I said, sure. And four years later, I had a 50-person firm. And we were building, you know, database web applications, which today doesn't sound like a big deal because everything is done that way. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was kind of a big deal. And I sold it to what became the consulting wing of British Telecom. And that's how I convinced them to go around the world. And that's kind of how the traveling started. So whenever you are building up that, just that business itself, is that something that you felt like once you started doing it, that this is it, I found it, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life? Or is it kind of like, I'll do this for a few years until I see an exit, and then I'll take that and take whatever comes from there? No, it, it happened completely by accident. You know, I was at the right place at the right time, and I took advantage of it. But I did not want to start a consulting firm. That was certainly not my goal in life. And working with clients and being so dependent, especially on a few clients for everything, I felt was very nerve wracking. And quite frankly, I didn't enjoy having 50 people working under me. Right. It was never something, you know, having to fire people is just horrible. Right. And having to, you know, worry about office politics and gossip and all that stuff. It was never something that I, I really liked doing. And to this day, I, you know, I'm proud to say I've I'm still friends with a lot of people who work for me. Just a few months ago, I went to Cyprus. We had two Cypriots that were working for me. I went to go hang out with those guys. So, yeah, it was a really good experience. And a lot of the people who worked for me and worked for the company still say it was one of the best jobs I've ever had. So being right place, right time. I mean, I, that's something I hear some people say and you know, some people have experienced. So is that something like being in the right place at the right time for any type of opportunity? Is that something that you can recognize in the moment or is that just kind of the thing that you notice in hindsight? No, I knew it at the time. Everybody was talking about how, you know, back then they were calling it the information superhighway. I remember Microsoft was trying to launch their MSN service yeah. to compete with AOL and CompuServe. Yeah. So people knew that this means of getting information through computers was going to be a big deal. And I think a lot of people often in the present of opportunity, but they either don't recognize it or they don't take advantage of it. And, the, you know, there's lots of stories of people who maybe they're not the smartest people in the world, but they just, you know, took advantage of the situations that presented themselves and they were able to do something with it. All right. Let me ask you this then. Did you enjoy the work that you were doing or was it more just kind of, well, I don't necessarily enjoy it, but it's, I am the right place, right time. So let's just ride this wave as long as the the wave is here. How did that kind of balance out for you? Yeah, more the latter. I mean, I didn't hate the job. I didn't hate the work. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of what we did, but by the same token, it wasn't, 
my passion. Yeah. Uh, I made a successful company. I'm proud of it. Uh, I think we did good work, but it wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. So how do you balance that in your own mind of, because uh, I know there's a lot of people that are, are listening to this who may be in a similar spot of going, well, you know, I'm in a industry or I'm in a market or I'm in a career, I'm in a business that's going well and it's, uh, it's building and growing and evolving and I am in the right place, right time, but inside I'm just dying. Like it's not doing anything for me. So how do you kind of reconcile that in your own mind of I'm doing something that's in a growing market, but I, I don't like it at all. How, how did you kind of come to terms with that in your own mind? Well, like I said, it wasn't that I didn't like it. Um, I think if you're successful at something, you can put up with a lot. Yeah. You know, not everybody can be a marine biologist and a ballet dancer. Right, right. And, I, and quite frankly, you know, the, the company was growing. We were making money, uh, getting a lot of attention. So it was, so I had no problem with that. It just wasn't, you know, I never intended to do that. This is kind of what I meant to say, which is very different than having like a nine to five job. And if you recall the kind of the whole story I just gave you, at no point in there did I ever have a real job. Right, right. You know, I was pretty much doing stuff myself the whole time, even when I wasn't making a lot of money. And that's kind of been the one hallmark of everything I've done is that I've just never worked for anyone else because I just don't like working for other people. Yeah. Did you recognize that early on, like in college, or how do you recognize whether or not you are a good fit as an entrepreneur or as an employee? Because again, I think a lot of people that may be listening to this may be in a similar spot of the entrepreneurial world is definitely has a lot of appeal. And I've, you know, I've been a self-employed full-time entrepreneur for the past eight years. So I find myself being unemployable, but it's difficult to know that when you're an employee just trying to figure things out. So how was it for you that you recognized that you didn't want to work for someone else? And more than just like recognize that because we all say that or think that, but how did you, I guess, then in turn decide to, to make that happen and to, to take that, that step? Oh, I've always known it. Even when I was in Boy Scouts, I remember working at a summer camp one summer and I always wanted to do things my own way because the way the people that were running the camp were telling me how to do it, I thought were stupid. <laughs> so I would do it my way and everybody liked it, right? right. You know, everybody I was instructing and all the you know, other adults, they said, oh yeah, you're doing a great job. But the people running the camp didn't like it because they didn't do it their way. Right. And that always kind of, I remember when I graduated college, I once got a temp job at a, at a place that was printing baseball cards near my hometown. What company? This is, it wasn't a major baseball card company. They offset, they outsourced the printing okay, okay. Uh, to another firm. So it wasn't like Tops or Fleer or anything like that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I think they were making cards for Fleer, okay. but it wasn't Fleer. They just like do all sorts of printing. Yeah. And my job was to take a stack of uncut cards, roll, and then basically take them from one thing to another. And I kind of realized that there was this table sitting in a corner with rollers on it. And if I had set that table up, my job could be eliminated. Yeah. And so I went and I told the manager, it's like, well, I don't need to be doing this. We could set this table up and we could, you know, the people that push it out of the, the machine can just send it to the next one real easy and we could make this more efficient. And they didn't want to hear about it. This is the way they did it. And it just drove me nuts yeah. because this was a better way to do it. This is more efficient. Right then and there, I'm like, if I ever start a company, the person I will never fire is the one who tells me how to eliminate their own job. Yeah. That's the most valuable person in your company. But I've always known it. I just, and, but I think the reason a lot of people, I, I do believe being an entrepreneur is more personality and attitude than anything else. Uh, when I started, I thought it was competence and intelligence. 
but I, I met a lot of really dumb, successful people. <laughs> and I met a lot of really smart people who weren't. Right. Because they were very book smart and they weren't, they didn't necessarily have the skills that translated into creating a business. Right. And it's not for everyone. I think a lot of people find it appealing basically because they want to make money and they want to avoid, you know, they think it's easier when in reality running your own business is by far harder than having a job. For sure. You know, having a job, you have some level of security, you know, you show up, you get a paycheck. Yep. And that's really all you have to do. Yep. There's no risk upon you. You know, knowing that, you know, once I started hiring people in my business, knowing that, okay, there are now people working for me. And I was in my mid twenties when I was doing this, right? Single, no kids. I'm now hiring people, you know, way older than myself with families who are reliant upon their paycheck. That's a lot, right? You yeah. Know, it changes was, the game. Yeah, I was the last person in the company to get paid. If we couldn't make payroll because one of our clients, you know, didn't pay us in time, I was the one that had to take the hit. Yeah. So, you know, there's an upside, but there's also a downside of you can be totally ruined, bankrupt, and the stress that goes along with it. Yeah. So you have the company for a few years. I mean, it sounds like you got some highs and lows, and then you eventually decide to sell. Did you sell just because it was kind of the one of the peak of the market and you wanted out, or why did you end up deciding to sell? It was very obvious by the time I sold in 1998 that the valuations these companies were getting were just ridiculous. Yep. So this was before you know the the bottom dropped out in the market. Yep. The nature of what I was doing, it was kind of a consulting firm. We were doing custom work. So it wasn't like I was getting internet valuations because we were a software company. So I got an offer. I felt it was a good offer, gave me an out, and I took it. Yeah. So and it sounds like just the timing of when you got in and got out sounds like it was the right place, right time on both sides of it. Because it wasn't too long after that that things started going downhill pretty quick. Yeah, but I did recognize on both ends on, at the start, this is something cool and amazing. And then on the bottom end, things are getting a bit ridiculous right now in terms of the business side. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So it sounds like before you get out, or at least in the transition there that you had convinced the company to let you travel around uh, the world. Like, how did that come to be? How do you convince a company to let you travel around the world? Well, they're a big multinational company. And I said, look, you know, you bought us. Why not share some of the knowledge that we have building these kind of applications and so they can do it for their clients and maybe give them competitive advantage in their markets. It was a pretty easy sell actually because they're so big, you know, they have travel costs all the time. So it was something they agreed to do. And I saw, I took a three week trip. I went to Tokyo, Taipei, Singapore, Paris, Frankfurt, Brussels, and London. But at that point you'd never even been outside the States. Is that right? I had done some short trips to Canada, but that's it. Okay. So, I mean, this is like large scale, you know, travel literally around the world. So what made you decide to even pitch this in the first place? I thought it'd be fun. Yeah. I is mean, I, you know, I thought it'd be an adventure. So, and, and if, if they can pay for it, so be it. So what were those three weeks like? So you come back and obviously, you know, today your world is based on travel. So were those three weeks of travel and being able to see different pockets of the world that most people never have a chance to see in a lifetime, was that just this immediate epiphany of like, I have to do more of this and I feel like this is what my next stage is? Or what did you kind of come back feeling? It stuck with me for a long time. I made a couple trips after that. I went to Iceland in the next year in 2000. After I started studying geology, I took a research trip to Argentina in 2005. 
I think after that, where I just made the decision, I think I'm going to, I think I'm just going to go travel around the world. I had the means to do it. I had no wife. I had no kids. There was nothing stopping me. And so that's what I decided to do. And it just took me about 18 months, I think, to tie up all the loose ends, sell my house. Then I started. So it sounds like in the timeline, there was, what, eight or nine years or so between when you sold your business and when you started doing the, you know, around the world travel that you're doing today. So in that interim, is it on your mind a lot? Are you thinking about it? Or is it more just kind of, it takes you, you know, seven, eight, nine years before you're itching to get back out and and try it? No, like I said, I, the the trip stuck with me and I made a couple other trips, but there was no immediate concern. I went back to school. One of the things I always said is that if I could go back to college again, I would either blow off all my classes and focus on winning a national championship in debate well, can't do that anymore. <laughs> or I would not debate at all and I would have gotten a degree in physics. And I realized I can still do that. Yeah. So I, I was living in Minnesota. I went to enrolled at the University of Minnesota and took a bunch of science classes. I was very drawn to geology and geophysics. And I spent two and a half years there, basically just studying that subject. And I enjoyed it. I'm glad I did it. Uh, but I realized I was like 37 at the time I started traveling that it was kind of late to start a career in academia. Yeah. And I liked learning. I liked the subject, did not like doing research and I didn't like the academic environment. Right. Um, as an entrepreneur, it's like the opposite of that. <laughs> very structured, you know, very formalized in terms of how everything works. And so that's when I started traveling. Gotcha. So you start traveling. The plan is to travel for a year or two. Even that first year or two, is there any itinerary at all? Or is it just kind of, let's just see where the wind takes us and go from there? The plan was to go west. <laughs> see so see, see went, how far you could go west. I started in Hawaii. And then I went to which is, Tahiti, which is a good place Easter to start. Island. Yeah, I learned how to scuba dive there. Tahiti, Easter Island, the Cook Islands, New Zealand, Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, Basically, it took me about nine months to cross the Pacific Ocean. You're hitting all the most beautiful places there in the South Pacific, for sure. Well, and you know, it's a part of the world people you know, don't go to. Yeah. And it's also a very tricky area to get around just because of the flights. And it's also kind of expensive for that reason. So that's why I went there first. Yeah. So you're traveling around there, bouncing around. Once you kind of wrap up in that part of the world, what is the plan from there? There was no plan, but when I was in Hong Kong, so I started traveling in March 2007, and then in November, December, so in between you know, selling the consulting firm and traveling, I also had a network of video game sites, and at our peak, we were doing 50 million page views a month across our network. Wow. All of our inventory, we sold to CNET, and then we arbitraged that to different sites. So I had an idea of what a lot of traffic was. And my site was not doing a lot of traffic. I mean, yeah. I could probably tell you the names of everybody reading it <laughs> because it was all friends and family or just, you know, people that had discovered it at the time. Yeah. And I realized that this was kind of a waste of my time. Either I should stop doing this and just, you know, travel and enjoy myself, or maybe I could turn this into a business. I didn't know what that meant, but I'd been online, you know, ever since, you know, before, you know, the Mozilla browser came out. So I was kind of a a native as far as the internet. And I was like, well, maybe I can make something of this. And so I sat down and bought a bunch of travel magazines, which I never really looked at, sort of did an analysis of what's in these magazines and why people read them. 
came to the conclusion that photography was really important. Started posting a photo every day on my website, which I've now done for over 2,600 consecutive days. And began sort of consciously growing an audience. Consciously meaning, what were you trying to build at that point? Were were you trying to build another business or is this just kind of, I just need a way to pay the bills so I can continue this, you know, this traveling adventure? I don't know. I think it was basically just eventually if I can build a big enough audience, money and opportunity and all that stuff will kind of work itself out. Yeah. If you have an audience, you can do whatever you want. You can sell books, you can sell seminars, you can get sponsorships, you can do whatever. And I also knew that I think that the travel industry and just the industry in general was not at the point where they were ready to start embracing bloggers and other people online. So I just, for several years, I just kept traveling, kept growing my audience, knowing eventually if I just keep doing this, everything will work itself out. Like I said, I I mean, I still firmly believe if you have an audience, you can do whatever you want. So whenever you're building that audience early on, are you quickly gaining traction? Because uh, it sounds like you know today, the travel market, there's a lot of travel bloggers covering a lot of different niches within travel. But it sounds like early on that that was something still relatively new. So what were you doing just to build that audience and kind of get the ball rolling? Just trying to get out there, be real active on social media. At the time, you know, it was Twitter uh, was kind of the big thing. Do guest posts, just to hustle and do you know, all the things that everyone else does. All the while, you know, traveling, doing this from hotel rooms, trying to publish great photos, and slowly it kind of worked. So in 2010, Time Magazine named my site one of the top blogs on the internet. Wow. That got a lot of attention. I was asked to do a guest post for Tim Ferriss, and this was, yeah, this was back in like 2010. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just found, and he just sent an email out to his user base. The most shared post he has ever had on his website was mine. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. I had no idea. So, so that started to get a lot of attention. The photography started to get more attention. I started winning major travel journalism awards for the photography. And all the while, it just, you know, people just keep discovering you and it just kind of keeps growing. You get on the radar of, of larger companies places like Google and whatnot. They put me on their suggested user list. That made my Google Plus audience explode, which then had effects you know, everywhere else. And yeah, that, that's just kind of how it took off. But the thing was to make a compelling meta story such that when someone discovers you for the first time, and it may just you know, be from a link or a Google search or whatever, hopefully there's enough that someone says, wow, what this guy's doing is really cool. I want to hear more from him in the future. Right. It sounds like, I mean, what you did that worked for you wasn't one single thing. It wasn't the time article or it wasn't the, with Tim Ferriss and it wasn't, you know, any one of these individual things. It was kind of the, the death by a thousand cuts. I think that's what all success is. Yeah. Everyone wants some one secret thing and there is no one secret thing. Right. You know, I've been in the New York times and that's great. That helped move the ball forward. Sure. But that in and of itself didn't, you know, that's not going to make a career. Right. It's just another thing that you can add to your resume or another, you know, data point that adds to your legitimacy. It's a good thing. But there's no one thing that, oh, if I could just do this, it's going to solve all your problems. It's day in, day out, being there, doing interesting things and doing good work. Yeah, And it's just a very small, pro- you know, even if you're getting an audience gain of like 1% a month, 
over time, just like compound interest, that can become an enormous number. Right. But it starts out really slow, and it's really frustrating with people, but, but you just have to keep doing it for years and years and years. I'm thinking for someone that may be listening to this, who's hearing this, is going, all right, I know the bunch of different things I need to do to build my audience or to build my business or to build my thing, whatever that thing may be. But it just, man, the long-term game is just so, it's tough and it's difficult and it's a lot easier just to want to throw in the towel. So for someone that may be listening, what advice would you give them to keep them from quitting or what kept you from throwing in the towel and just coming back home? That's when it comes back to personality. If you don't have the kind of, and it's not just doing stuff online, you know, you can listen to the stories of famous actors, musicians, athletes, anybody, you know, we see Brad Pitt as a successful actor making millions of dollars. We don't see Brad Pitt living in a crappy apartment in Hollywood going on calls, you know, three times a day to try to land a spot in any television show or movie or anything. Yeah. We, we forget that part. And pretty much everybody that has achieved some level of success went through that, you know, the crappy jobs and the hustle. You just have to keep going. Well, I'm, and I'm so glad you said that because that's one thing we talk a lot about on the show is, is uh, a lot of times we look at the A to Z spectrum of a, someone's career or business or life and we look at Z and Z is the sexy part. You know, you've been traveling around the world for eight years. Who would not want to do that? That sounds really, really cool. But we don't see all of the early stages of it of, like you said, just the I'm just busting my butt when no one's paying attention in order to fast forward to Z where I'm at today. And so, yeah, we, you have to start with some of those non-glamorous, non-sexy parts that nobody pays attention to, nobody sees, nobody cares about. But those are the things that you have to do. Those are the hoops you have to go through in order to be able to have the kind of life that you want to have and especially the kind of career or business that you want to have in the future. I mean, think about that eight years That's eight years in third world countries, crappy hotel rooms, non-existent Wi-Fi sometimes, by myself for almost the entire time, no friends and family. So there's a lot that goes into that. Yeah. So I could visit some of the greatest places in the world. And I love doing it. I still love doing it. But yeah, I mean, I tell this to other people that want to start doing what I'm doing and they want to start a travel website. It's like, okay, to just, you know, forget the blogging. Just to build up a travel resume where you're going to be interesting enough is just going to take time. Yeah. You know, it's a lifetime thing. And you know, with respect to other people thinking about this, I think the, the number one question on the internet is why should anybody care what you have to say? Hmm. And you have to, you know, and that's true of everyone. It's true of me. It's true of you. And when you look at why certain people get attention and why others don't, there's a lot of different variables. Right. Right. Someone could be, you know, they do videos with a bikini. Another person, it's because they're profane. Another person is funny. There's all sorts of reasons why someone may achieve that. But at the end, I think it has something to do with personality. I think it has something to do with tenacity. Yeah. And then, you know, there's like I said, there's different variables. So some people may score higher in others. There's no one way to do it. But in the end, I think those things are all real critical. And I think you also have to put yourself out there. Yeah. There are people who are afraid to put their photo online or afraid to hear, you know, they don't want to make a video of themselves or they don't want to you know, have their voice. Well, no one's going to want to pay attention to that. Right. Not when there's, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but there are like some YouTube celebrities who are like teenage girls that just talk about like makeup and fashion with millions of subscribers. Right. right. It's insane. And, and you would have no idea that this exists, but they're making videos every day and they're talking about the things 
that their demographic cares about, which consists of what am I going to wear to prom, your boyfriend, wearing stuff to school, stuff like that that I I would never think about, but they do and it pays off. Hey, let me ask you this to wrap up. As a for someone that has seen a good chunk of the world, do you got a favorite place, some place that you keep going back to or you can't wait to get back to again? A lot of places I like. I don't keep going back. All things being equal, I would prefer to go someplace I haven't been before. Really? Yeah, because there's always something, you know, brand new. But even if you're going like to London, every time I go to London, there's always a new neighborhood for me to visit. Yeah. Always, because it's such a big city. Yeah. And it's not like New York where it's laid out in a grid. So you can kind of, you know, drive up and down it and get a good feeling for the whole city. But there are places I definitely like and places a lot of people don't know about. Micronesia and Samoa, I think, are awesome places. More people should go there. Hmm. Not as difficult as you might think. Oman in the Middle East is a real overlooked place. Namibia. I had a great time in Namibia last year. Spent five days driving around the sand dunes. Absolutely beautiful, you wow. know, stunning place. And so, yeah, there's a lot of awesome places in this world besides the obvious ones. You know, don't just go to an all inclusive resort or go on a cruise trip and, you know, spend four hours in a place and think you've seen it. Yeah. Gotcha. Good stuff. Hey, Gary, if we want to find out more about you or if people want to check out your blog and your site and the, the daily photo that you put up, where can we go? Just go to everything everywhere.com and you can see links to all my various social media accounts and get an idea for what I do. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure and uh, link up to that in the, uh, the show notes as well. So Gary, thanks for the time. Enjoyed talking to you and we'll uh, catch up with you again soon. Okay. Sounds good. All right. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Gary Arndt, again, of the website, everything-everywhere.com. And I encourage you to stop by, check out Gary's site. Also, make sure that you stop by our own site, uh, grantbalden.com. There you can get the show notes, links, everything that we discussed in today's episode. You can find there, again, at grantbalden.com. Also, if you haven't been by our site, I'd love for you to swing by and check it out. We've got several different blog posts that we post regularly, some really good stuff there. We posted one uh, recently called 39 Things That You Need to Know About Me. So if you're like, I'm in intrigued by this Grant character and I want to learn a little bit more, that post would be a great place to start. Again, you can find that all at grantbaldwin.com. Hey, I also want to mention to you, if you enjoyed this episode, if you dig like the travel side of it, we've got a lot of people that love travel, want to do some type of career related to travel. We've got several other episodes. If you're just catching up to us, We'd love for you to go back in the archives. There's a few things I think you'd really like. Episode 18, we talk with my buddy uh, Ben Schlappig, who teaches people how to travel for free. If you're into the mile and point stuff, into travel hacking, that's definitely a great episode to go back and check out. I personally, my wife and I, we do a lot of travel hacking, a lot of stuff with miles and points, and Ben is a guy who knows a ton about it. So he makes his full-time living teaching people about miles and points and how to travel for free. So make sure you stop by, check that out again. That's episode 18. Also check out episode 31 with Travis Sherry. He runs a website called extrapackofpeanuts.com, does something similar to Ben. So definitely check out Travis, extremely, extremely knowledgeable whenever it comes to miles and points and just travel in general and traveling on a budget. So check out his stuff. Episode 40, John Pollock, he runs a boutique travel agency focusing on travel to Italy. So if you're interested in Italy or travel agencies, definitely check that out, episode 40. And then last one I'll give you is episode 70 with Betsy and Warren Talbot. They sold everything and quit their jobs and moved and now travel all over the world. So they have a website and a blog called Married with Luggage. 
It's really, really cool. Really, really great story that they've got. So again, that's in uh, episode 70. So encourage you to go back, check those out. Always, if, if you're just joining us, there's a lot in the archives that you want to get caught up on. And I don't want you to miss out on any of the cool stories that exist there. So make sure you swing by, check those out. Hey, also be sure to subscribe to the show. We'd love a uh, rating and review within iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you may be listening to the show. We'd love your feedback. Helps other people find the show and helps us to rank and uh, helps uh, helps us to know that we're connecting with you. So really appreciate that. Hey, as always, feel free to email me, grantograndbaldon.com. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, MySpace, Zanga, wherever you're at in the world. Let me know. So we will catch you again soon. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.